Welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we combine two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. There are three of us in the room. I am just one, Joe Hilliard. Dave Gurney. Carlos Cooper. And we are here to go underground. Comics, that is. But we're doing something a little different. We're switching it up. You expect us to crack open one of the finest beers that can be found in America at this point. But we're going to do something a little bit different. There's a couple of reasons for it. I don't know if we'll get into that. I know we certainly will in After Hours. Carlos, what'd you bring us today? Well, um, as listeners of the podcast well know, uh, our illustrious co-host Joe Hillier joe hilliard is a nut and he is on this nutty uh, (laughs) dietary it's crazy restriction thing it's called whole 30 i don't know exactly what it's about i think you take everything that brings you joy in a life in in life and you throw it in a hole correct for 30 days and then you learn about like how much you like fruit uh i'm on day five of whole 30 which means for the next today and the next 25 days i can drink no alcohol because i can't have any sugar at all Mm -hmm. which got us thinking well you know there's this huge growing trend in beer right now the na beers maybe over the course of the next few weeks we have a few of those yeah so in solidarity with uh joe's whole 30 thing i myself am also on day 16 of sobriety as well you you might have noticed the last couple weeks you haven't heard me reviewing the beers we've been drinking and that is why and so I went out to uh, get us something that would kind of fit the bill and not just have uh, Gurney drinking alone. Um, <laughs> right. And so well, I suggested at least not drinking in solidarity with yeah. you all. And then and then Carlos said, well, what if? Yeah. And part of my curiosity about this came, well, two things. One, Emily doesn't drink and she was on the show recently. Uh-huh. Uh, also, Got to talk about. I got to show you guys some pictures of these posters I bought from her the other day. Oh. Uh, and uh, my buddy Devin has not been drinking for the better part of the last year. And I remember him telling me that he really liked, I think, the Coors non alcoholic uh, one. There, mm-hmm. there was a couple that he like ac- actually kind of enjoyed and he said were like pretty drinkable. So it got me thinking we should maybe kind of venture into this world a little bit now since we we found ourselves in this position. And I, I got this one. This is the Laguanitas IPNA. Uh, it is, uh, well, what it says here is you're holding a confounding creation that sees the same ingredients found in our highly balanced IPAs, that being hops, malt, yeast, and water, and thus the same deliciousness but brewed without the ceremonial fez and ancient incantations <laughs> that normally take it over the edge. Life is uncertain. Don't sip. I don't know what that means. Uh, but yeah, so it's it's a it's a Lagunitas IPA, non-alcoholic malt beverage that contains less than 0.5% alcohol by volume. And I got this one because David had mentioned... I think it was off mic, but uh, or maybe uh, on after hours could have been, been. Yeah, um, that you had had this one and and not to spoil your review, but in a short summation, you said I drink it again. I think yeah, so, something to that effect. And so I was like, okay, let's give it a go. Uh, and so here we are, Laguanitas IPNA. Yeah, for uh, this episode, and then um, I Joe was trying to pull something up, and I didn't find anything much better, but. There is the Amazon bestsellers list for non-alcoholic beers, 
the top of that list being a brewery called Rival House, and then you've got Heineken uh, Ooh, and Heineken. several different incantations. Uh, you've got a 12... <laughs> what is this? A six-pack of cans, a 12-pack of cans, and a six-pack of bottles all populating the top five. <laughs> it's the same beer, <laughs> just in different whatever. Wow. Um, and then Sober Carpenter, I saw this at the store earlier today, is number six with an IPA and a 16-ounce Brooklyn Brewery has one. Here's another Heineken and just a different thing. Um, Bex has one. Partake Brewing is one I see a lot. Athletic Brewing is the one that Emily yeah, brought the other day. I, I've seen that one around. St. Pauli, Budweiser. Golden Road, Coors, those are all in the top 20. So we may be seeing some of those kind of make uh, yeah, their way into, onto the show. About what's available at the grocery store, yeah. about what's available at our local liquor stores. In the second half, uh, I brought one that my in-laws, because my in-laws have also basically, my, my mother-in-law, not drinking, period, zero. Uh, my father-in-law will enjoy, you know, in moderation. A whiskey every once in a while. Yeah, in yeah. moderation. So yeah. he'll, um, so they got deep into it. And I, when I see and go out to eat dinner with them, they ask, and they're trying to single-handedly change it from O'Doul's only market, which is our town. is typically mm-hmm. a big O'Doul's only market. Mm-hmm. But the one that they can usually find <laughs> is the Heineken. Okay. In a, and that also happens to be their favorite. Interesting. I'll uh, bring a couple of those maybe next week. I'm certainly not against O'Doul's BT dubs. In fact... Who owns sl- O'Doul's? Which brewery is that? I have uh, no idea. I'm just, I, I know it's one of those mega conglomerates. I right? kind of went into the store with blinders on and yeah. was specifically looking for this one. Yeah. And the hop refresher, which I think, I don't know what the deal with that one is. I think that's um, just, yeah. It's just water, right? Yeah, hop flavored water. Anheuser Bush, David. Okay, there you go. And so when I came back, Kylie was like, Thank oh, you, did, Joe. oh, did you not get any O'Doul's? And I was like, oh, fuck, I totally forgot about O'Doul's. But yeah, we'll have to do O'Doul's. We should do one because do O'Doul's one, yeah. is the one that's been around since I was a kid. I've seen O'Doul's. O'Doul's oh, yeah. rules. O'Doul's I mean, yeah. rules. O'Doul's is like a got the warm regu- blanket getting wrapped around you, sitting on granddad's lap. <laughs> sure. He's feeding you a Werther's original. Oh, come on. I mean, forget about it. The Werther's original gets a, a lot of slander thrown on it. That wasn't yeah, slander. Was that was candy. I was showing how it's symbolic of. Just like Arby's. <laughs> My 16-year-old had a bag of Werther's Originals. Arby's said, does not inspire cozy, warm feelings in me. Maybe six, not for you. My 16-year-old had a bag of Werther's Originals. And I was like, where did you get those? She goes, these are fire, Dad. These are fire. But if you put an Odu- if you put a Werther's Original inside an O'Doul's, <laughs> it's like a, a old person's that's, cocktail. That's like an old man shandy. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's a retirement an home old shandy. Old man shandy. Well, I'm Love not even going to be drinking the N.A. beers because they do have ball- barley malt in them. And the other thing that I can't yeah, have for 30 yeah. days is grain. You're just staying mm. away. You're yeah. just staying away. I'm telling you, man, the second one I have, nothing. It's got nothing. It's water. I'm going to look at the ingredient list. Yeah. yeah. It, if it's just hops steeped in water, you might be able to drink it. Yeah, because hops that are not be... grain. No, hops, they aren't. Yeah. Um, it's it, flour. Yeah, I, I, I can't imagine. So if Joe's a little off on this episode, remember, the man's running on a totally different schedule of ingredients uh, going into his digestive system right now. So, you know, good luck, Joe. Thank you. I'm I'm glad you're here with us. I'll tell you all about it in after hours. Um, So I'm excited to sip on this while uh, we wax poetic about a film that I don't even know how this came to my attention. I think looking for things, we talked about how this is a dead zone of films, right? This is September is a rough month. We've come out of the summer blockbusters pretty definitively. We're eking out these smaller films here and there. Um, we, 3000 years of longing. We, Mm -hmm. we talked about last week. Um, 
you know, but there wasn't a whole lot coming out. Um, w- w- after hours, maybe we can talk about some of our other options. But uh, had us looking at streaming, and I saw a film that came on to streaming. I think it's getting some limited theatrical play too, um, but but that was available to us via streaming called Funny Pages, um, a film by a first-time feature film director, Owen Klein. Son of Kevin Klein. Right, and former, or actor, I guess, as well. Like, he yeah. hasn't, he, has Squid he said he's retired? He's retired, or retired. is he? Retired. Retired. Uh, yeah, we love the nepotism film. <laughs> we love a nepotism film. Yeah. Well, Squid and the Whale was great, though, right? We no, all like Squid and oh, the yeah, Whale. Like and, and we all we all appreciated his performance there. Um, you know, but th- but this film that he made, he does not star in. Um, no. Instead, it stars Daniel Zolgadri. Is that, is that Zolgadri? Zolgadri. Zolgadri? Yeah. Okay. Um, as Robert, who is a sort of nearing the end of high school age yeah. uh, art student who kind of wants to go to art school, kind of doesn't, wants to draw comics pretty clearly, works in a comic book shop. Um, and it's him, it's, you know, in some ways a coming of age story, but it's one with some very particular stylistic choices that we can talk about that I think maybe puts it in a slightly different category than other coming of age stories. Um, but he goes, strikes out on his own, finds himself a place to live. <laughs> One could say. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, so uh, finds himself a place to live, tries to strike up friends and, and actually finds what he thinks might be a mentor to him, uh, courts this mentor. And uh, and of course, all in the midst of uh, dealing with a, a bit of uh, distance from his parents where they, they disagree on his path forward um, as he's going. Did I summarize it well? Yeah, you yeah. did. I mean, you did. You didn't include a lot of tone. Of the oh, film. that's. I mean, it's hard. It, it is hard I to felt do. like I was going to go down that rabbit hole when we when I paused sure. for talking about the apartment. Uh, do you guys love this film, or is it to, is it too disgusting for you? I, I mean, it is so grotesque. Th- this film is like pointing a, a microscope at all of like the frailties and failings of humanity, all the gross aspects of mm-hmm. being. Masturbation human. exists, and this film wants you to know about it. And isn't afraid to show you all kinds of things. <laughs> um, Do you think that scene where he walks into the room with the guys and, and sees their little masturbation ritual going mm-hmm. on, do you think that ranks up there with the shining hotel door, with the <laughs> costumed... Just as uh, horrific? Well, when, just when as like disturbing. Like, oh my God, that is the last thing I want to see, opening a door. It's funny. We don't know what's going on behind closed doors across this great land of ours. Right. And, you know, uh, oftentimes when you see something like that, which is probably not, I was going to say uncommon. It, it probably is a little uncommon, but I mean, without, <laughs> yeah, and I'm not yeah, going to get yeah, into yeah, kink yeah. shame, but there's all no, kinds of things no. happening behind closed doors across the country. And this film certainly wasn't, you know, I think Carlos hated away. this film. I, he's, he's so quiet here and he's not reacting. I, he's got a poker face. Now he's smiling just because I'm singling him out. But what, what did you think of this film? Uh, I mean, I liked a lot of aspects of it. Okay. Um, but it it reads very student film to me. I had the exact same thought. Oh, this is no, like, that doesn't this mean it's is bad. maybe oh. the best student film I've yeah, ever it, seen. It, it if doesn't this is mean no, it would bad. it would be it would be of a high, it would be a high quality student oh. film. But and careers have been made with high quality student films. Sure, it's, it's not to say that that's a bad like it's mm. a bad superlative from my point of view. It's a it's a critique 
I, I don't know if I would say, I don't know if I'd go bad, but it is a critique. It's not a, it's not a positive comment, but it's not an inherently negative one either. It is a critical observation when I make it. Mm -hmm. I'll say that. And so I say that because there are a lot of, I don't know, kind of immature filmmaking, uh, storytelling kind of things that are present in this movie. The, the thing that cement, I, I was, I was kind of leaning that way throughout as I was watching it. But the thing that really cemented it with me was that a classic move in like student filmmaking when you don't really have a firm grasp on being able to really deeply kind of telegraph human emotion is to go to like a violence and like shock value type of move that's why you know a lot of student films are like oh someone gets murdered or there's a gun in play mm -hmm. or something like that mm -hmm. and sure enough this movie ends with that right the guy gets stabbed in the head with the inking pen and he's like <laughs> bleeding everywhere and it's like man you really could have gone a direction of just like um shattering this kid's worldview in a way where it's like Something happens where he really, truly, finally, it sets in with him that this mentor is not a mentor. He's just extorting money out of him. The only reason he's there is because it benefits him. And he's been trying to manipulate him this whole time. And you can have something really, I don't know, more profound at the end of it. But instead, we get this nonsensical kind of ending where he like forsakes his friend who's bleeding out of his head to chase this guy down who doesn't give a fuck about him, which is kind of sad, but then, it, but the, the violence thing. And then at the end he just goes and sits in the comic store on Christmas day. Like what the fuck is that? <laughs> like it was a stupid fucking ending. And then like what you were talking about with the grotesqueness and stuff like that. I don't think that a lot of that is done in service of really anything other than just trying to elicit a reaction out of the audience um you know i think i've never seen gummo but in the stills that i've seen of it it's mm. a fairly like grimy yeah kind of i thought harmony you know, corinne a lot while i was watching this because it, it's certainly singular vision of this filmmaker he's i did trying i, I to disagree with that too because I think it's it's very Safty Brothers. Like, right. if, he, if yeah. you told me the Safty, okay, is there. okay, yeah. but there's a lot more there's a lot more comedy here than Safties do usually. No, sure, I'm I'm speaking visually. Well, yeah, the, but the, you know, I mean, they even brought in one of I mean for like two seconds, but uh, his name's Josh something with a D uh -huh. who played. Um, Who's in? No, I mean, a there's drug overlap. Dealer, there's a overlap. drug dealer and, in heaven knows what. And like a lot of overlap with Frownland, which Ronald Bronstein made, and he works with the Safties and he produced this. I mean, like, yeah. this is a, a group that has a shared aesthetic vision. Like, they like the grimy films of the 70s when they were shooting on the streets of New York on location. You know, like the Safdie brothers talk about this. They, they yeah. like, and, and I think. Klein, from what I'm seeing, shares that interest. Um, and But I think uses it in service of these characters. Like, he builds a world around these characters, not unlike the world that the guy's doing in his comics. Right. In terms of the grotesque figures that he's showing um, in, in there. Um, I I, th I just, I, I thought this film was really, I, I hear where you're coming from with these criticisms, but, th but then on the other hand, they're kind of arbitrary. It's like, we can say, oh, this story trope is like inexcusably, um, you know, 
overdone and you you can't do it again. But when do we draw the line? And who and if people oh, and we I always say inexcusable. No, no, no. But I'm saying like <laughs> to me that's where like I get where you're coming from. But certain things don't strike me as being so hackneyed that I don't want to see. Like to me, very few filmmakers are willing to push us into environments that are this uncomfortable and this kind of. You know, I mean, I was squirming 90% of the time watching this where I'm like, oh, my God, I don't want to. I'm, I'm very affected by <laughs> scenes of terrible dirt and, and disarray and, and, and all that. And yeah, the, I mean, so this this movie had me like kind of anxious and uh, and not feeling great, like the Safdie Brothers mu- movies, actually. That sure. there it's is an, some it's an anxious there. film, sure. Um, yeah. but, it all, but here, in service of more comedy than usually comes, I really appreciated that because I laughed pretty hard at a lot of points in this just because it got so tense with it with where everything was going and the way that people were kind of uh meeting up the guy who plays um the 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 attempted mentor the colorist or whatever the assistant matthew color. maher i think yeah is his name. i've seen him in a bunch of stuff i guess i have he's he's played small parts yeah. in, a, in a bunch well, of different is, things he's the holy bartender in dogma okay okay but that i mean he must be like 30 years younger there and uh 20 20 yeah yeah uh, and I, it, I don't remember or yeah 22 or three yeah. well he, he literally just asks jason lee's character later or he says like hey man blah 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 and then jason lee is like hey do you know how to make a holy bartender and he was like what's a holy bartender and then jason lee pulls out an uzi and like oh right kills him <laughs> but, you know so he has like two lines yeah, you know yeah but, uh, did you his first recognize credit. him from that uh no i recognized him like i know i've seen him in a bunch of stuff and i was uh, it was while the movie was on so i was trying to go quickly mm-hmm. through his filmography to see like what caught me and i do now see his face in dogma uh but again he's a lot younger and it happened yeah. so quickly but without knowing exactly where <clears throat> without knowing exactly where you landed carlos i'm in the middle um between the two of you uh, and i just basically had to make a decision based upon the idea that clearly the content of this film is and this is why i am enjoying the availabilities that are on streaming sometimes uh i did catch the new kevin hart marky mark movie and that's when i say straight to streaming is a big big issue in our mm. society because <laughs> that film just has no redeeming value in it at well, all. Well, the big issue is you gotta you you gotta pick better. You right. can't. There's too too much to. This spend film your time never on would have been put in 2022, pandemic or not, into a theater given the landscape of media. So I enjoy the idea that this voice and these filmmaker gets an opportunity to make a story like this, which is trying very hard, in my opinion, to not be mainstream. There's no way to to put a veneer on this to where a mainstream audience is going to find and appreciate it. That being said, the decision I came to was, was that purposeful? Like his, his, the story that he's trying to tell where the narrative is almost like two degrees away from ever really making sense. Is that poor filmmaking? I think it or makes is it sense. intentional filmmaking? Do you think it doesn't make sense? I landed on the, I'm talking about motivations of characters, yeah, that's the decisions what I mean. that you they don't... make it, it, I mean, they're terribly flawed individuals, yeah. but I understand why it's they're doing It's a coming of age film do. where you're like, the parents are right, dude. You know, like they're, they're giving you sound advice, <laughs> which, which even is if actually which is actually a more authentic and truthful mm-hmm. coming of age film in most cases. If you look at the the average, right? I mean, I think what this film is doing by 
by shifting two degrees over and doing something a little bit off-putting to a mainstream audience is that it's actually giving you a somewhat more truthful, although I hear where Carlos is coming from, but with maybe things that feel like predictable beats at the towards the end, especially with how they try to wrap it up. Um, but I think for, for a lot of it, it's really kind of showing this, no, it's it's a kid who has some dumb ideas about how and you a singular vision about, to pursue a career, which we admire, sure. and, and often yeah. that's looked at as a quality uh, the, in a coming the of age film, of alternative comic book, right? Yeah. That, that you know, you can have a career aspiration that's off the beaten path and be that single focused on it, but then you need to have luck and be smart about it. In in this case, would have to be. He doesn't have first. luck, and in fact. He's dumb about it. Or, or was he purposely saying, let me put myself into some of these situations that I wouldn't put myself in otherwise so that I can get material because the source material well, of the comics that I'm reading are all kind of fucked up a little bit. He's clearly fascinated by the Arkram. more grotesque elements yeah. of life, right? Sure. Inspired by Arkham and others who we may talk about in the second half of the episode. Nah. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean... So, so when the guy, hold on, in this opening scene where the guy's like, you should draw. You can draw me. Okay, I'll draw you. And then the guy, just, the, the guy his subject that he's going to draw is a his teacher. bit of an obese dude who, who, <laughs> who drops. Who like, is his who teacher? Yes, Let's yeah. not High gloss school over teacher. that. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And I don't know if in any way, shape, or form this is an appropriate situation it's that, that certainly they're in. Not, no. But <laughs> the film just goes with it. And our lead character is either saying, this is inappropriate, but I'm going to put myself into it. Yeah. Yeah. To get the drawing, or this is this. An, I, I don't realize that this is inappropriate. And yeah. either way, I, it's powerful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is a it is a big opening. And no, I think Car- Carlos opening. is right. It is way inappropriate. But clearly, the, I mean, that's. But the teacher knows it's inappropriate. No. Because he's chasing him in the car, saying yes, he does know. Yeah, I wasn't trying to do anything weird, right? You oh know yeah, that, no. Right? And I think he left because it was inappropriate. And but but I guess just starting it there, it's it's a it's a weird place. It's to a start. tone setter. It yeah, is a strange sure. place yeah. to start. And the tone is pretty. It hits you intensely, all the way through. and then this becomes like the you know the sort of uh um you know the starting point, right? The the idea of this teacher dying in this really, I mean. I do love those kind of happenstance moments that, you know, will start a film like that sometimes. It, it can be a real uh, charge to it. So I, I like the opening. I, I like the way it kind of established. And him as being somebody who was willing to go along with that, but then was able to resist enough. So, like, he has some intelligence. Mm-hmm. He has some... But but he throws it out the window so much. I mean, pursuing the guy single-mindedly, I guess, is really and what... And getting the, into the same kind of psychosexual situations for the duration of the film... Mm. And using using them as material for his comic, you know, mm. that that to me is an interesting angle. Mm-hmm. Also, the end, the the prolonged end of the film where he invites his potential mentor over for was it on Christmas Day. Christmas, um, and then watching like this escalating level of chaos that yeah. the parents really don't want around. We've seen that a thousand times in other films, you know? Right. But but not quite like this. It's a meet this. the parents kind of feel at a certain point where right. you have like this house of people who've been put together. Sure. And, and, yeah. and, the, and one of the guests is becoming increasingly unhinged and then a little bit manic where it's yeah. like back to normal and then even begins speaking tr- like real truths in the film that... I didn't expect this character to be so wise here, you know? <laughs> I, I, I think I, I certainly landed on 
liking it more than not liking it. I think there's a big audience for this film, and I'm very big. curious to get some. Fe- I think it's small. Yeah, you're right. There is okay. an audience for this film, not right. a big audience. There's an audience for there, this film. There's a specific audience. For and I'm curious there. if any of our listeners do finally catch it. I think we uh, had to pay. We rented it, right? Yeah. It was a rental. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd love to hear some feedback on this. I, I can't quite get my mind about how I feel about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, I, I've said I, I liked it a lot. I, I think it's it's to me it's always noteworthy when you take and you're telling a story in a way that I think m- most people just wouldn't even think about approaching it. And again, warts and all kind of uh, storytelling. I, you know, I, I do think uh, there are some great performances in there all around. The cinematography, I love the the yeah. look of the sixteen millimeter. Yeah, I looked it up, Super sixteen. And yeah, it's got a great look to it. And the guy who's the cinematographer on it, I, I should know his name. I had looked it up, but he he's done a lot of the stuff we're talking for. He's done it for the Safties. He's done it for uh, Bronstein. He's done it for others. And I and I think uh, you know I don't know it, it. This just really comes together really well for me, and I like the sensibility of it, even mm-hmm. if. It's a, I mean, he's basically an anti-hero. It ultimately, like there, there's yeah, very, he's a dumbass. There's very little that's sympathetic about this guy. I he's mean, he's terrible to his friends. Yeah, he's terrible to his parents. Yeah, and he, not that you know, his parents are very endearing either. But he also seems to have like absolutely zero self or social awareness because I, I, the the part that the part of it, you know, Joe said something earlier about like the motivation of the characters and stuff not making sense. The part where I really kind of lost it was like, dude, you don't see that not just your parents, but the guy who's here with you are just like over this shit. <laughs> like you don't see that everybody's mad about the situation. You know I what think I mean? he's lived his whole life that way. I mean, it's, it's a, it's the a realist film. part of the movie is when his dad calls him a spoiled brat yes, and says yeah. this is oh, brat shit because he is a brat yeah sure. no he is It's this is a movie about privilege as much as it's about uh, you know coming of age in a sense I mean mm-hmm. I think it's being I think it's a critical film about it's like I said he's an anti-hero more than he's a hero I don't think we come away from this or I certainly don't feeling like Oh man, I hope Robert goes on <laughs> successful. Yeah. I'm thinking, I hope this guy comes down to earth and apologizes to a bunch of people and and starts. Be- but then I've known people this kind of self-absorbed before who were a little bit not that I grew up around a ton of them, but but I met some later in life uh, who you know like cushioned by some of the uh, privilege and yeah. and have developed this like they've never th- their parents will react with disgust and uh you know and surprise or whatever but then they get numb to it and they like don't even really think about it and then yeah if other people react and discuss and say, well my parents do that too but they still fund the whole thing yeah. they don't the kid is talented the kid knows a lot about the subject matter and the kid has a drive to um to to succeed in it mm-hmm. and oftentimes for every hundred of kids just like him with those talents and drive and desire mm-hmm. it's only a break that makes you the famous one so the one that's the famous one the one that gets success from it you don't question those same decisions yeah talent is only like 10 percent of it at the end of the day yeah uh, which is funny you know we're talking about this movie uh which it doesn't have it has kind of i was thinking about clerks earlier when you were talking about mm-hmm. like um, people approaching the story in this way. And I think where 
the difference in like presenting something in a different light or in a different context, different tone, whatever, uh, with this movie is it, it does feel like it's, it feels like he's trying to be different, trying to make an underground kind of movie where something like clerks was different and it was underground, but it was just a guy showing See, you the way that him and his friends I, like really act. I you know? feel the opposite here I, to a, to a certain extent. Like I feel like, Kevin Klein, Kevin Klein, Kevin Smith's film, um, coasts on the charm of being so scrappy and and low budget and whatever, but doesn't have a whole lot to say. This film, no, I actually no. think I'm not I'm not talking about in messaging or anything right. like that, but I'm talking about in character motivation and stuff like that. Well, like, but those that's are I, just okay, those but are in just terms like of his storytelling. Friends. It doesn't have a lot of story to tell. It's really just kind of slice of life snapshot of which yeah is the whole point of the movie yeah, yeah. no I, I but i'm just saying like th- this i do think is trying to develop a character for you in a way no for sure but uh, but you've missed the point of what okay, i'm saying okay uh is like the grossness and mm. the edginess mm. and all of that stuff feels either forced or like so obviously influenced by an outside source i.e the safety brothers in this case whereas in kevin smith's version of a similar not story, but like way of filmmaking, low budget, you know, real quote unquote, I'm doing finger air quotes right now, uh, is like, no, this is just the way that my life is. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to show it to people. Yeah. Whereas this one, it's like, man, we got to make sure that like his friend has really bad acne and that he moves into a place that's really hot so that we can make, give an excuse for the guy to be so fucking sweaty the yeah, whole time well, and stuff like that. And it's but just it's aping like, what the, it's like, it's like an R crumb comic. It's like, it's like watching those sweaty, disheveled, greasy characters on comics pages, which is clearly the style that, I mean, I, I'm, I'm more simpatico with Joe when, when he talked about like, I think there's a really nice, thematic overlap there between what he does as an art and then what he's living and who he's seeking to spend time with and what and why he's doing that and so that it comes through in the aesthetic of the film makes perfect sense to me and it, and that it's maybe more in service of comedy makes sense because he's writing he's drawing comics and he and he's kind of going for that to a certain extent it, it's it's like the world that he creates around him mirrors this world that he's or vice versa whatever he found That's, this strange world it, and it, I was gonna wait till the second half to say this but the subject of this film seems to be trying to interject himself into alternative underground situations to get material for an underground alternative comic. That's, yeah. As opposed to other characters who may have lived that lifestyle and just told their story. Sure. Yeah. 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 That's a good, that's, that's a good way to put it. And it, it is kind of interesting, especially in this day and age with people like Elon Musk running around this like, um, idea of like vacationing in He's like, he's vacationing poverty, in poverty. Yeah. But you is know he what I mean? Living in like a three bedroom house or something. What do you mean? Elon Musk. Well, Elon Musk, people always say like, Oh, well he was self-made. He did it all himself. And it's true that at some point he was like, started you know whatever but the thing is that he has the the thing that made elon musk able to 
take kind of go out on like his that. own yeah, and yeah, take yeah. a huge risk is that he had emerald mine money to fall back on yeah. and it didn't work out yeah you know he didn't have to worry sure. about yeah. like actually being able to survive because of that and mm-hmm. in this kid same case like yeah. he can go out and drop out of high school and, and like whatever catch and, him. Yeah. yeah and if yeah. his shit really doesn't work out then he just goes home and like right. you know so i don't know that kind of parallel granted different scales obviously yeah, but, but, but very similar yeah, idea sure and and vibe. yeah and i know that i'm like coming out more negative on this movie than i think i actually am i did like it i enjoyed watching it Good. um i i did find it frust- but i, I, I find yeah. I, I i did find it frustrating at times but all in all i thought it was pretty decent very very Ari Aster vibes and that I feel like it didn't stick the landing at all. Um, <laughs> but not in, not in that tone. He's he's not. No, the, none of that. I'm drawing the parallel in that. I understand. Ari Aster can never figure out the end. I just want to make sure people don't uh, get the impression that it has like a horror twist to the end. Uh, I mean, you know, it doesn't. I mean, the guy gets stabbed in the fucking head, but um, it's mostly played for laughs. Though. It's mostly played for laughs. Also. We didn't talk about the Andy Milanakis in the room. Yeah. Loved. Yeah, I like seeing him show. Oh, hey, and really gosh, funny. I didn't even, I can't believe I forgot to bring this up, but the the score for this film, I love Sean O'Hagan. The guy who wrote it, um, he I had a band like called The High Llamas. Oh. Uh, he, he was also early on in Stereolab, arranged strings mm, for them on okay. a few albums. Okay. Was it with a band called Micro Disney? So I was totally shocked. I didn't even know he was involved with this. And I started hearing the interstitial music kind of, and like, this is really is nice. This? Like, it th- th- like has like this kind of faux tropical vibe. It's like Beach Boys for oh, it's Sean O'Hagan. This is perfect. Yeah. So lo- love that, and it, and it was kind of it helped set the comic tone of the film because there's some of the stuff that's just really distressing and grotesque, and you really, but there were these little reminders in there like okay, laugh, buddy, because th- this is that you're gonna be hanging out in this world for a little while. It's it's just these are the people he's choosing to be. with. Do you want to know what's funny about that is I personally didn't laugh a ton at this movie, mm. um, but I did pause and think like, I bet David Gurney's laughing really hard at this. <laughs> and you were right. And I was right. right. I was right. right. Well, are you guys laughing in the face of this uh, non-alcoholic beverage? What do you, I've already said, and I do have like an amendment to my review that what is you your, recounted. What is do, your Do you amendment? want me to come up with it? Okay. Yeah, go first. Drinking I, I it, know how I feel. drinking it outdoors when it was super hot, when it was fresh out of the cooler, was a much better way of drinking it than sipping on it here slowly and letting it warm up a little bit. I think it was at its best when it was cold, coldest to me. Um, but what I like about it and still like about it is, is that jacuzzi not working. <laughs> hey, come on, it, it's gonna it's gonna increase by degree anyway. Um, the thing I like about it, it does deliver that hop character, especially towards the end of the sip, where it's convincingly enough like an IPA that you do that. Now, the front end, you got to get over that it's going to be super like a weak kind of version of what yeah, you would get from like that. Almost like a sparkling water, honestly. Kind of. There's a little something more there, right? I mean, there's, there's a little extra There's, there's a sure. little malt, whisper of maltiness yeah, yeah. in there, but it's not hefty enough to really fool me. Except when it's super cold and I'm drinking it fast and I'm like, okay, this is just a really tasty uh, session AML, IPA yeah, or something. Session, yeah. yeah, I don't know. So what what do you think? I enjoy it. Um, you know, interestingly enough and good on them, uh, it does have that kind of Lagunitas f- stamp on it, yeah. flavor wise. You know, 
if you handed this to me in an empty, like a unmarked bottle and said like, oh, what do you think this is? I'd be like, oh, it's like it's, some some weird IPA by Lagunitas. I mean, it's definitely <laughs> it's definitely them, but it's like, did you dilute this with LaCroix or something? Like, uh, because it does, I mean, it does take it like, you know, and this is not, this will be interpreted as negative, but I do not intend it to be such, but it is like a watered down, whatever the, uh, the name of a Lagunitas beer is. I don't know. I don't really like they that. They have just this um, Lagunitas IPA. Yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. like a watered down version of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I found that that Lagunitas IPA is not lost to a noticeable amount of quality since their takeover. Mm. So I will still grab that from time to time, you know, uh, now that they're kind of part of a larger, yeah. larger beer environment. But I think, I think if today wasn't so rainy and I was having like a Labor Day barbecue or something like that, I would not mind drinking a couple of these while mastering the grill, you know? Mm. Yeah. Do you guys think the point of this journey we're about to go on, of the beers in it, is to trick you into thinking that you're drinking uh, a fully alcoholic beer? Or do you kind of have to go in at the beginning saying, I know there's going to be a sacrifice in quality here? Not quality, I don't think but it's, I don't think it's about tricking to me as much as tricking filling, might not have been the right filling word. that space. I, I I know what you're saying though. Like, and you want something to fill that space. I would think in as close. I mean, that's where you'd start. Maybe get this as close as possible to what it could taste like. But obvious what it would taste like if mm-hmm. it had alcohol in it. But at a certain point, I think maybe you can play around with some of the basic flavors of beer. And do some interesting things. And I'm sure some people are. I'm, I'm hoping that as we try a few of these that we might see something. I mean, obviously, I think there'll be standard versions like the, I imagine, the Heineken and yeah. Core. Like, those are going to be fairly straightforward. We're trying to emulate our light lager beers. Right. But I feel like with maybe some of these other breweries, maybe they're getting to where they're incorporating some fruits into it as many beer maker beer brewers do these days and trying out some different kinds of styles i'd i'd be uh interested to see where it goes well beer wise in the second half let's do something completely different when we come back Figuring it Getting out right back as we go. It. Do we? I mean, do we have things we really need to discuss? Well, are we all not ready? What we need to discuss is what we need to get into our glass what right we now. We need to get into our glass. I so think I, I'm even going to enjoy a sip of this. I think you should. I um, I had seen this uh, on the internet somewhere, and was kind of was interested in it. Because it is a clear beverage in a, in a Lagunitas P- label, pale, pale yellow, right? Is it or is it totally clear? It's, a, it's got a little tint to yeah, it, like a tiny but yellow hue. On the website under style, Lagunitas says sparkling water question mark and a seltzer question mark IPA inspired refresher question mark. However, you see this clear beverage, we view it as a fresh take on an old tradition, a variation on a theme of twenty five plus years of edgy brewing at the edge of brewing, massively dry hopped like other Lagunitas brews, but without the alcohol, carbs, cows, or gluten. Whoa. Yeah, I mean, clearly, I can enjoy seltzer and am. Lacroix is my best friend, and it yeah. comes in a variety of fruity flavors. It does. I love the coconut one personally. Uh, coconut's uh, popular in our house. I'm not a coconut guy, as you know. Yeah, I'm going yeah. key lime these days, but mm. I digress. I can have this 
because um, mm. they did not use malt, uh, wheat, uh, grain of any kind. It's just hops probably. I'm curious about the technique. Boiled in, in water and then carbonation added? I don't well, know, but dry I think hopped. It, I, I can, yeah, I kind of feel like if you boiled uh, them in water, you'd at least get some of the color into it. Like here, so little, it's so clear. Yeah, I um, the sparkling waters and the various flavors that they come in have been a big uh, thing for me as well. Sure. Uh, this is variety. And teas. Yeah. I've been doing a lot of teas. Yeah. It's when I have done a sugar fast in the fa- sugar fast in the past, I would reach for a beer, like literally reach over for the yeah. beer that was not there, a phantom beer. You could have these. And what I decided to do uh, was fill that hole with iced tea mm. uh, and uh, whitening toothpaste. And whitening toothpaste. If you drink tea all of the time, your teeth can get a little dingy, uh. just like red wine. Red, red wine. <laughs> well, I think Stay I threw out the. close to me. Whenever you're ready. Uh, I'm sorry. It's all right. I think I threw out two options that made total sense when I saw the trailer for Funny Pages. Uh, uh, the the documentary Crumb, uh-huh. which is a fascinating documentary. Yeah, maybe we'll do it on another episode someday. And the other thing that leapt to mind was American Splendor, which was a uh, one of Paul Giamatti's kind of star turning roles. It was uh, it was an early leading role for sure. Right, yeah. right, and showed kind of him being able to really bite into a character that gave him a lot of opportunity to do so, and we landed on that. We sure did, um, and and not just was it where uh, where Giamatti kind of started making a bigger name for himself, but it's also where um, the the filmmakers right is it Sherry Springer Bergman Berman and. Uh, Puccini, right? These filmmakers had been primarily known for doing documentary film work. Right. And there is indeed a documentary aspect to this film, right? Because what this film... I'd say straight up. ...covers... Yeah. Straight up. the life of Harvey Picar, as he chronicled it himself in a series of comics called American Splendor, and then some others, too, that had different titles. Um... They decided to make this film that would be sort of a a documentation of Harvey Picar as an individual, but also um, an extension of those comics, um, almost like dramatizations of some of the stories told in those comics, but also these moments that are sort of um, you don't see in anything almost, where you see these reenactors, so to speak, Giamatti, Hope Davis, the the others performing Judah these characters, Freelander. Judah Freelander, yeah. in a funny role that I, you know, it's funny. I didn't realize who he was at the time because I didn't, hadn't watched Thirty Rock when I saw this film all those years ago. Well, it didn't exist yet, right? Um, and so I didn't think of him as Frank. That you yeah. know, the, so it, it was interesting to go back and be like, oh yeah, he was Toby in this. That's funny. Um, so it was a neared in neared you you see the actors and the people they're playing it sort of interacting at various moments coming together um observing each other or at least the actors observing the the actual individuals you see also um short animation sequences where you're kind of pulling panels out of the comics and one of the unique characteristics of American Splendor as a series and much much of his work is it's Always about him, but many times done by different artists. So different renderings of him, different ways of portraying him has been 
his stock and trade his entire career, right? As he's been a storyteller is like, it always changes. So it kind of fits this idea of this film, like these different stand-ins for this one character kind of circulating just like they do in the comic books. I've laid it out to some extent. It covers him going into comic writing, being friends with R. Crumb. I guess I said that out of order. Mm-hmm. Um, getting into uh, a marriage, uh, a third marriage. You see the dissolution of his second marriage very briefly. Uh, it, it, you see him coming into that. You see him gaining a little bit of fame and notoriety, um, appearing on David Letterman's uh, program on NBC back in the 80s, and then uh, hit, Toby getting on MTV, right? A friend of his uh, yeah. through, who, who kind of became famous through the comics as well. You see him getting successful critically, yeah. but not getting famous or wealthy never really getting wealthy off of off of his work um and and then ultimately you're met with that tragic third act of he gets cancer Mm -hmm. and he's got to work through that which really did happen to this man and he really did have to go through treatments and it eventually was cleared although it came back later and and uh he he did die a little bit early um for like around 70 i think but um as he was preparing to go in for some other treatments i i am struck by the conversation we had in the first half especially your Elon Musk example about Carlos about the difference between someone pursuing crazy things and then someone living a crazy life. And certainly this second film is showing the latter and it shows it, I think in such an interesting framework where you see the real Harvey Picard as like a um, classic documentary talking head shots. And then he'll say, yeah, back in 75, what, I may not have the year exactly correct, I was a um, uh, making a little bit of money selling and buying and selling used right. records. And then, boop, the flashback of Paul Giamatti playing the guy we just saw, the real guy we just saw. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what really helps Giamatti's performance, which is great, mm-hmm. be even a little bit better because the film is showing you exactly the person that yeah. he is... Um, mimicking you right. know uh bio picking yeah no it's it's incredible to see i i, I like the i like that narrative i like that structure of this film very very much i yeah. did and still do uh i the guy that played r crumb was funny yeah I, james urbaniak yeah i the whole time i was watching it i was trying to like i was like man i know this guy from somewhere and i i knew him from difficult people did you ever watch that oh, show yeah. with Billy Eichner? It, yes. He played uh, Julie Klausner's husband, who's okay. like a real like beta type of guy, you know, very just like, yeah, whatever you say, you yeah. know, and she like bosses, she's like so fucking mean to him the whole time, and he's just like, he's so funny in that, sh- in that show, yeah. as like kind of the straight man to her. I yeah, think. he's shown up in a lot of things over there, like if a you look at this filmography, he's, he, a lot of credits, a lot of American indie cinema stuff, um, but yeah, he... And he does a great job as Arkham, I think, yeah. uh, in this, right? I, I really don't want to believe that Arkham ever wore a hat like that, though. But he did. He the barbershop quartet yeah, hat. Yeah, oh, God. He, the man lights various in his sunder hats. I mean, I love a hat, but... <laughs> and and he draws hat. himself you, in many of those But you got to think of the time. Hats. It wasn't like, you know, it isn't like he was barbershop wearing it now. Barbershop quartets didn't exist then? Well, they had, but they they were like at a different point in the past than to what I mean. It, things can be resuscitated, and it never caught on. He was obviously an eccentric, uh, you know, yeah. quirky individual. But uh, see, Crom was an eccentric that got somewhat wealthy and famous, and then could 
say fuck you to those that didn't care about his eccentricities. Right. Uh, Picar was an eccentric that just kind of was stuck in his eccentric but not about fashion or style at all no 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 just uh he's a schlub yeah schlub and you know bouncing through various and asunder jobs and relationships and i think that that's one of the things i like about the film a lot is that you're not seeing a superstar but you're seeing a very talented person uh, be very talented and then the struggles that come with not achieving the amount of success that his good friend is achieving because clearly that was eating him up a bit yeah yeah I don't feel like there's a lot of resentment or jealousy I mean I think he was definitely I mean clearly he he was upset that he never was able to uh-huh. qu- quite attain, attain a certain level of financial success with, with what he was doing um, but he was also kind of resentful of those that did, and he had this kind of working class ethos, you know, the socialist, right? I mean, the, the stuff he did on Letterman that I think would have pushed against that. I think he was a guy with internal conflict, and, yeah. and some of it he could explore very uh, openly through his comics, and then other, I think, you know, it's it's left to you to kind of read into it because what you know what doesn't get put on the page. Um, I just love it because it's a very kind of going back to what I was saying with funny pages where I think it's a obviously that's fictional but here like it shows me a character that I wouldn't normally get to see sure. in a film um, shows me a very real way of living that exists out there ways of living that exist out there puts me in touch with these characters that you know some of us may know various versions of um, and and why that kind of works why it doesn't there's like these kind of internal critiques of that like the whole fascination with revenge of the nerds is this is a little moment in the film where toby gets very inspired by the film revenge of the nerds feeling that it was like a film that was really depicting people like him and you know uh, uh picar you know his 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 uh, off. rejoinder is those people are nothing like you. They are privileged uh, people who are going to a four-year university and are going to come up with degrees and live in like wealthy suburban homes and blah yeah. blah 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 blah. You're living in a, a <laughs> an ethnic ghetto. Yeah, <laughs> he calls it an ethnic ghetto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was an interesting question. Do you think Mark Maron based his whole life off this guy? <laughs> Picard. Yeah. As I'm watching it, I'm thinking like, oh yeah, just a angry fuck that's like always yelling about stuff. <laughs> but at least in this case, Picar kind of had it a little not great, you know. Yeah, uh, he 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 definitely seemed to have it rougher than than Mary. Yeah. <laughs> I know? see some overlap. They're I, definitely similar kinds of commentators. Yeah, yeah. I, I I definitely saw some overlap. I do. I did. You know, we meet this Joyce character, right? And I was mm-hmm. curious as I was watching, I was like, hmm, I wonder, I wonder how accurate this meeting slash eventual marriage was. Did it really happen that quickly? Yeah. Did he really just call her on the phone and be like, yeah, just come stay with, you know, like, was mm-hmm. it, did, did it, did it play out like that? And then it cuts to her and the filmmaker asking her, like, do you feel like, or filmmaker asking Harvey actually, uh, do you feel that your depiction of her was accurate? And he was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was. And then she was like, oh, well, he, you know, really tends to kind of gloss over like the more positive yeah. stuff. And he was like, yeah, that's my perspective. Doom and gloom. <laughs> that's like on an almost direct quote. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, well, hey, hey, man, you know, 
you know what you are. You yeah, know? And yeah. You're like, okay, you know, you've accepted it, you've come to terms with it. You know, good well, for you, dude. And he's like, running stuff with his wife, and I'm sure she's, yeah. you know, like they've talked through these. Why would you only focus on these parts of the story? Well, that's what interests me. That's yeah. that's where my mind goes. I, it's fascinating because it's a film about a man. It's a film about an art form. It's a film about storytelling in general. It's a film about filmmaking and documentary. I mean, it's. It fires on so many levels. I had kind of forgotten how much I loved this film. I mean, I, I loved this film when it came out. I I have it on DVD. I watched it at least a few times after. But then it kind of just got tucked away. And I've thought about pulling it out, like, teaching-wise a few times. I think at one time I was thinking maybe I could use it in documentary and kind of think about, you know, how how much does it qualify as a documentary? What the, um, That'd be a good discussion. Yeah, but... But nonetheless, I, I haven't. And watching it again, it hits me just as hard. I definitely find it emotionally like satisfying and moving towards the end. The, the them taking Danielle and the the daughter um, always hits me. I mean, and it's earned because these are real people and they have this. And you even see the daughter on the screen. You see these, you know, the the two actual people. It's to me. It's an incredibly moving film about people who I wouldn't normally get to learn about otherwise, and uh, and, and acted so well. Yeah. I mean, there's an acting tour de force here. I think no, Paul Giamatti's acting out. his ass off the whole time. Yeah. Like, especially he's such a good actor. I mean, it's kind of I don't even know. Like, have I seen bad Paul Giamatti? Fi- he must be in some bad films, and I he's just in haven't... some bad movies for sure. Uh, what's the one what? with uh, uh, Frankie Muniz? Big liar. Yeah, big blue is liar. He in that? Yeah. He, he is, is the big blue he's liar. He's the big liar, and he's not. But then, if you watch it, he's probably incredible. And in every scene, is. he is. No, I, I have seen it, and I don't um, think he's given a bad performance. Yeah, it's it's uh, for a kids movie where the adult is the asshole, and the kid gets to have to come up and it's on the adult. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 okay. It's fun. He's great in Jungle Cruise. <laughs> I oh, I didn't seen see it. that. He's in that. Um, he. He's good on billions. Giamatti really had like this, like indie, like sideways thing huge. you know like yeah and those are like in a, a year of each other it was this time where like yeah. he was like the indie movie guy i mm-hmm. feel like for the for well it, it was one of those moments where like somebody broke out who should not be able to break out you see him and you're like oh that's not a leading man that's not yeah. a guy who s- sweeps the awards mm-hmm. presenta- it's just no that's like a character actor that's totally. a supporting f- figure in a film mm-hmm. and yet he was able to fit into some of these films that had these quirky leads that worked really well. Hey, let's not forget what kicked off the ball. Howard Stern's private parts. That, that was a big one. Oh, really? He was so good in that. He's, yeah. yeah the, I've seen as, it, but I don't as remember. The, what was he? Pig general vomit. manager? Pig virus. The, the general manager of, uh, of WNBC. WNBC, who was given the task of driving Stern out. Right. Yeah. So, um, you said moments ago, has Paul? I've, have you seen a bad Paul Giamatti film? Have you seen the 2015 action adventure epic San Andreas starring Dwayne Johnson? I have not. Because Paul Giamatti is in that movie. Have you seen it? Yeah, twice. Is it good? No. Oh. <laughs> Paul Giamatti saying one it's for great. me, one for them, one for me, one for is them. It, is it not good on some campy level? Maybe. No, it's like I don't know. It's it's a funny like effects-driven disaster movie. Okay. I mean, it's not supposed to be funny, but it's like kind of silly. And actually, I will give it I will give that film credit where credit is due because that year him 
and Carla Gugino were the only age-appropriate couple represented on screen that entire summer of film. Maybe that entire year of films, because I think she's actually older than Dwayne Johnson is. Oh, wow. Or, like, they were at least within a yeah. few years of each other, whereas a lot of the other films, you have 10, 15-year age gaps between the male and female, like, leads or whatever. But mm-hmm. um, So there's that. Saving Mr. Banks. Paul Never saw it. Was that the uh, Tom, Hanks. Tom Hanks Walt Disney movie? Mm, that'd be yeah. the one. Not uh, where we're going. Now not interested. But I mean, yeah, he's. I'm just saying he's been no, in some I weird hear you're stuff. You're Rock right. of Ages. Never saw it. I I just avoid like, the ones that. <laughs> but but he was in a movie I've been trying to get us to do for a minute. Uh, Cosmopolis, the Pattinson Cronenberg. Oh yeah, movie. he was in that as well. Interesting career this guy has had. But you're right. He is that type of figure where it's like. Yeah, not who you expected to be the leading figure, but he had a moment there. I came came in very unsure where y'all were going to land on funny pages because it was just so... It's it's an odd A couple degrees away from right. But um, then I got a little nervous on the way over saying, is the audience going to give a fuck if we're doing these NA beers? Like, like, will they... Is this so off brand for us that, but I think it's a very valuable conversation because it's a, an emerging trend Mm -hmm. in the alcohol industry and B with the um, kind of rise in popularity, especially during the pandemic of dry January or, or other months where you take a month off from alcohol, all of these options are now kind of available where they once were not. Mm-hmm. I'd like to go first on this because I wasn't intending on having anything tonight. But when you you convinced me, Carlos, there's nothing in this that a whole thirty person can't have. There's borderline nothing in it. This <laughs> is fucking t- refreshing. But let's get real. It's not at all trying to mimic a beer. No. Period. No. This is giving you a hint of a beer flavor with zero alcohol. And this would be the one I think if you're trying to quit drinking, wean yourself off, or or just taking a break because whatever, this would be lovely to have around. How much were these four packs, six packs? How much did it run? Do you recall? I had to buy them uh, in singles, but a four pack is supposed to be like five ninety nine or six ninety nine or something like that. It's yeah, not what, terribly expensive. What did you guys think? I, I thought this this was great. I love it. Actually, I really really enjoy it. Yeah, I'm a fan. I. Th- I, I like the kiss of hops there. I mean, it it really is like like you said, Joe. This one, if if the last one, the IPNA, um, I mean, fully was trying to emulate beer, right? And I said it had a weak malt presence, but this has zero. I mean, this sure. is water. Um, this is Lacroix water. hops, right? <laughs> but instead of that kiss of berry yeah. or lime or right. whatever, I'm getting this kiss of like that hop th- that would be in. But an enough I- for what it's trying to do. I feel. absolutely yeah. no, it's there. I mean, if I gave this to a child, they would spit it out. They they, they <laughs> okay. would not like the flavor, right? Um, as Why are you giving beer? There's nothing in it, man. There's nothing in it. No, I haven't given this to a child. I have. This is my first time having it. But I'm just saying, if you did, they would spit it out immediately because it has that hop element to it. That um, it's a nice citrusy hop. If you're if if you were somebody who loved drinking IPAs and for whatever reason you're doing a dry January or you're just wanting to cut carbs out of your life or you know whatever it is. And you went with this? I think you might find enough there because I'm finding enough there. I sure. can see drinking this again on a hot day when I just want something refreshing, but I like that feeling of beer on a hot day. Uh-huh. That's not always actually refreshing. It actually dehydrates you a bit. I bet. It does. 
But I, this is good. I did a little research while we were talking. Um, there is a Sierra Nevada Hop Waters, which is a similar okay. product. If that's somewhere we wanted to go down the journey over the next couple of weeks. Um, and uh, a few complaints about it being pricey. This uh, hoppy refresher from Lagunitas. That's why I was curious how much it hmm. ran. Yeah, I think... Um, pricey for what you're getting, I guess. For but sure. a pack, a six, a 12-pack of LaCroix is $6. And a 12-pack of the grocery store brand similar product is three eighty or $4. Mm-hmm. I, I find the, the premium on the LaCroix is almost worth it because it's got, I think, a better flavor to it. But this... I, I would also say I would be curious about that Sierra Nevada brand hop waters. Yeah, maybe put them side by side. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be slamming these the way I'm slamming H E B brand sparkling waters, mm-hmm. just from a cost perspective. What's your flavor? For the H E B brand, I'm just a straight clear, clear guy. L- lime. This guy lime. I um, when I was a kid. I started doing this thing, I don't know, probably like a tween, like early teens. Um, I I love sparkling water and orange juice together. Sure, okay. Turns out when my mom was pregnant with me, she drank that a lot. Ah, you, know, you can't drink and you can't do all this other stuff. Um, and so she saw me drinking that one day and was like, kind of weirded out by it. And she was like, you know, I used to drink that a lot. But she I asked, st- are you pregnant? <laughs> and I was. <laughs> um, no, but I still drink that to this day. Like lately I've been drinking that a lot. So, but my, my flavor LaCroix is coconut. I love coconut LaCroix. Kylie fucking hates it. And so we don't get it because I'm the only one that's going to be we drinking We some lines it, so. that, that along seltzer flavors that are drawn in my home as well. Ma- mango is a no go for Aaron. Mm, mango is, is a no go. Uh, Adela, on the other hand, it's the uh, limoncello from, uh, that she does not LaCroix like. that she will not. Yeah, okay. which I, I find both that's of them Savannah's very tasty. favorite is the limoncello. Yeah, Fave, I like it. I don't think I've had that one. Okay, we're on to seltzer talk, <laughs> guys. But that Welcome seems like a good after hours combo. <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoyed that hoppy refresher. I did too. Much. No, it's good. It's yeah. Right. Um. Well, you know, favorite thing about the show, as you all know, whenever you go to beer and. Sorry, I was just I know, how long <laughs> you, I, yeah, I, I, I didn't know how far uh, you were going to take that. Not, not I, I, I'm not committing to the bit today. Uh, conversation continues after the episode ends. Favorite part about the show, really? I mean, we we release these episodes and then we talk about them with y'all all week long. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Beer Movie Show, Instagram at Beer and a Movie, Facebook.com slash Beer and a Movie TX, Beer and a Movie Podcast.com is the home base. You can find a link to our Patreon or go to Patreon.com slash Beer and a Movie Podcast. $5 a month gets you a bonus episode every single week, really helps uh, support the show. We appreciate it very much. Uh, you can also find a link to our Discord, again at Beer and a Movie Podcast.com. Lots of fun conversations happening over there, um, especially, you know, about the episodes of the week, things on the after hours, lots of discussion. We had a very interesting after hours. It's also an interesting group um, of people trying to make each other laugh. It is. I like that so. about our Discord very much. It's an eclectic group. That's for that's for Dagum, sure. Uh you can also find a link to our merch on the website or go to tpublic.com slash user slash beer and a movie. You can get shirts, stickers, mugs, hoodies, all sorts of stuff over there. Uh, it's a great time. And uh, Joe's been putting together these wonderfully curated groups of episodes, whether it's you want to dive into all, 
all of our past All Horror October episodes to get yourself ready for the upcoming All Horror October season. Or if you want to dive into the world of Nicolas Cage through the lens of Beer in a Movie, you can find all of these curated kind of groupings of past episodes because, look, we're 210 episodes into this bad boy. There's a lot in the archives to go through. And of course, listening to that stuff is always free. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review and subscribe. It really helps the algorithm to do what it do. But when you subscribe, it helps you be the first to know yeah. when we drop a new episode. So that whenever you get to the office that morning and you're around the water cooler, you can be like, hey, you guys listen to Beer and a Movie yet? And when all of your freaking nerd coworkers say <laughs> no, you can be like, well, why aren't you subscribed like I am? Because I listen to it already. Give I know what's phone. going on. I'll show on. you how to do it. I know what... The- deal is here okay <laughs> get with it susan uh and yeah this has been uh, an another uh comically grotesque episode yeah. of beer in a movie until next time i've had enough bad experiences and growth to last me plenty right now i'd be glad to trade some growth for happiness mm-hmm.